Hello and welcome back. Today we'll be looking at the Old Testament Overview Lesson 11, one of the 142 on westbankbiblechurch.com, my pastor Merritt. But before we begin, let us remember 1 John 1.9 may or may not be necessary. Last lesson, we continued our analysis of the reason for the flood. I earlier reviewed the doctrine of the angelic conflict, doctrine of Tartaros, and then last, we exegeted in part Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 6. Point two, now let's move to the biblical account of the flood by continuing our exegesis. I will review some of that learned, and then we will pick up with new material on page 3. And for this lesson, on 11, I'm going to break it up into a 11a and 11b. We'll be going from page 1 until the, uh, we'll stop at the top of page 6. Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Point three. The scenario of Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 tells of fallen angels taking on the form of man in order to seduce and impregnate. Genesis 6 2. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Tov in the plural. And they took them wives of all which they chose. 3.1. This all occurred some 120 years before the flood, and God saw that the resolution of the angelic conflict was about to be foiled. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh. Flesh is from the Hebrew basar, meaning mortal. Yet, Bay Shagam is better for indeed. His day shall be an hundred and twenty years. 3.2 Then the Philim were on the earth in those days because the sons of God went into the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Genesis chapter 6 verse 4 There were giants, Nephilim, and the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Anash Shem. 3.2.1 Nephilim, according to volume 1 of the theological workbook of the Old Testament, has this to say of Nephilim. Some scholars attempt to relate this term to Nepal, meaning an untimely birth or miscarriage, and then or as productive of superhuman monstrosities. Such would certainly seem to be the case when consideration is given to what else is said of the late antediluvian context. 
especially in the light of the several New Testament revelations concerning the events just prior to the flood. 3.2.2 Achar, the adverb, is well translated after, i.e. after in point of time. This adverb establishes there were Nephilim after the cohabitation with the women of planet Earth. 3.2.3 Bene Ha Elohim, translated sons of God, is commonly used in scripture for angels. One of the more often quoted is Job chapter 2 verse 1, where we have described an angelic convocation Barnhouse writes in his book Genesis, We believe that these sons of God were angelic beings, followers of Satan, who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, and who already have been placed in chains awaiting judgment, as from Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and Jude 6. This explanation complements the two New Testament passages and explains the flood and much that follows. 3.2.4 Mighty men is a translation from the Hebrew Geberim, the plural of Geber. We have seen Geber used variously to describe valorous warriors or mighty men. Strong in his famous dictionary says it means a valiant man or warrior. 3.2.5 Anash is a Chaldean word for man. The noun Shem means name and reputation. Thus, Anash Shem means well-known men or men of renown. 3.3 The Lord was grieved because of the evil of man and the resolent proliferation of wickedness as planet Earth became a playground for beings of great renown. Could this be where we get our Greek mythology? Hmm. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved, that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. 3.4. Again quoting from the theological workbook of the Old Testament, Nasham has several meanings. It can mean to repent, to sorrow, to comfort, to console, or to sigh deeply. The origin of the root seems to reflect the idea of breathing deeply. Hence the physical display of one's feelings, usually sorrow, compassion, or comfort. The word is used of God's repentance, but when used of God, he relents or changes his dealings with men according to his sovereign purposes. On the surface, on the surface, such language seems inconsistent, if not contradictory with passages which affirm God's immutability. God is not a man, that he should repent, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, when Nasham is used of God. 
However, the expression is anthropopathic, language of accommodation. And there is not ultimate tension from man's limited, earthly, finite perspective, it only appears that God's purpose has changed. 3.4.1, Laird Harris, again in his theological workbook of the Old Testament, uses Nasham as an anthropopiathism to describe God's mental attitude. This, was, this is language of accommodation, a not-so-unusual event. Think, for example, of how we accommodate our language for the needs of children. So also does God accommodate his language for his children. 3.5. God is often said to change, having seen man's choices. God adjusted his plans to accommodate all things. This aspect of God is best seen when you consider how, from his omniscience, he decreed our very own spiritual lives. 3.6. It is and was the pleasure of God to permit creatures to exercise free will. However, we should have no illusions about ourselves just because he gave us volition. We are here, not to glorify self, but to line up with his pleasures and glory. 3.6.1 To illustrate, picture a giant computer in eternity past. God fed facts from his omniscience into the intergalactic divine machine, IDM. These facts are differentiated from mere potentialities. The alternatives, which he also knows and knew in his omniscience but did not decree, all of this before time. 3.6.2 The facts included every thought we would ever have, every decision we would ever make, and every action we would ever take. 3.6.3 When God decreed, or fed into the IDM, that we would exist as free agents, He, without intervention, simultaneously entered our every thought decision and action. 3.6.4 This included all the decisions he knew we would make about sin, about rebound, about human good and evil, about believing in Christ, about walking down the street, about the laws of establishment, about doctrine, about spiritual production, about everything. 3.6.5 From his omniscience, he knew how we would use our free will. Then he programmed in his grace plan for our lives. For those who would advance to maturity, he programmed in special blessings in time. For those who needed discipline, which included all of us, he programmed in discipline. He even programmed in undeserved suffering. 3.6.6 he knew every situation we would face, every problem, every heartache, every personal or historical disaster, every failure or success, and in his decrees God provided the solution to each problem. Moreover, he supplied everything we would need to face each situation in complete security, with perfect orientation and inner happiness. 3.6.8 
capacity for happiness and the proper mental attitude about his decree or decrees for our lives comes from understanding these things. And understanding can only come from doctrine in your soul. Even to pray properly, we must understand the doctrine of divine decrees. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I oftentimes want to make a personal comment about what I'm going through uh, when I'm going through this lesson with you. And, and I look at Colossians chapter uh, 4, verse 5 and 6, the two of the four verses I just read. And they're just generally good advice for anyone. It's almost like they would come out of a great sales manual. You know, the, they say, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, it's just part of the a recipe for success. You know, you... You study the Bible and you get so much good information uh, on about just life. And then, of course, you're taking in scripture and doctrine and you're learning. Okay? Uh, it's just wonderful that we have Pastor Merritt who put together this for us and all the hours and years and, and work. But, you know, he loves it. He just loves it, and he wishes he could be here doing this instead of me, and so do you, and I fully understand that. Um, I'm just trying to present it the best I can, but I see the beauty in so much of the Bible, and it, uh, you know, it's it's a living word, and you can see it in all these scriptures, and I, I just enjoy doing it, and I enjoy presenting it, and hoping you uh, get something from it. But let me continue as I ramble. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 3.6.9. One obvious conclusion. There is never an excuse for complaining because what he has decreed for our lives is called our very own spiritual life. 
designed especially for us by a perfect, loving, and good God. 3.6.1 God then punched, control print, and the computer of divine decrees printed out our very own spiritual life. It also printed out facts about unbelievers under the categories of condemnation, reprobation, and retribution. 3.6.11 We must always remember that God did not predestine us to heaven and the unbeliever to hell. So also in the case of the unbeliever. He did not predestine them to go to hell, but rather their choices seen in eternity past were noted, and then they were permitted to live out their miserable lives, condemning themselves to hell. Given our choices, we were assigned a special spiritual life for time and heaven for eternity. 3.6.12 Knowing this, we can better understand Paul's discourse in Romans chapter 1 when he says, When they knew God, they rejected him, and so he turned them over to all manner of sin and evil. 3.6.13 The decrees of God, therefore, are the sum total of God's plan. Designed in eternity past, relating to all events of all classifications, collected into one single, all-comprehensive whole, a direct result of God's omniscience. The omniscience of God is the key to understanding the decrees. 3.6.14 Now back to our scenario. Genesis chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 3.7 Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 may indeed teach that there were only eight pure humans left on planet earth at the time of the flood, or certainly only eight pure humans who were believers or eight mature believers. Given verse 8, verse 9 speaks not only of Noah being 100% humankind, but he was also a believer, and a mature believer at the time. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. These are the generations, non-plural from the verb yalat, of Noah. Noah was a just, sedek, which is T-S-E-D-E-Q, man and perfect, tamam, T-A-M-A-M, in his generations, and Noah walked with God. 3.7.1 Yalad is the very common verb for giving birth. Tistek we have also studied as an Old Testament expression for both positional and temporal righteousness. 3.7.2 3.7.2 Tamam, according to Strong, means complete and entire. As Laird again writes, with the verb's fundamental idea of completeness, Samuel inquired of Jesse, Are here all thy children? 
1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And, behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. 3.7.3 Noah was both complete and righteous. 3.7.4 Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 could read, Noah and his family were uncontaminated, his genetic makeup having not been altered by angelic intervention. Noah also was a believer, even a mature one who walked with God. Genesis chapter 6 verse 10, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 3.7.5 To some verse, 10 seems to be extraneous to the context, an eclectic insertion, but such is not the case. God is showing us Noah and his sons were uncontaminated. Verse 11 resumes the description of what was occurring on antediluvian earth. Genesis 6, verse 11. The earth was also corrupt. Shashat is used of extreme evil. Shashat, S-H-A-C-H-A-T. Before God and the earth was filled with violence. 3.7.6 Shashat, according to Laird's workbook, means deep down or even a poetic description of Sheol. 3.8 If Satan's plan had been permitted to continue, then salvation of man would not have been possible, and the angelic conflict would not have been resolved. 3.9 the situation demanded action. A. The destruction of this hybrid creation. B. A defined fiat restricting such future angelic actions. And C. The removal of the offending angels from the planet. Point four. It might be helpful at this point to review the doctrine of the will of God. And that's where we will stop today. Uh, we will pick up there which is the top of page 6, if you're following along in the PDF. Remember, westbankbiblechurch.com, or you can listen to us on the podcast. Any number of ways you can do that on the podcast. We thank you for listening. Please continue to pray for Pastor Merritt and me. You know, I know I could use some, and I'll be praying for y'all. But in closing, as we like to do, and I like to do it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Remember, it's that easy. Until next time, so long.